0: But better not. Okay. Who thought accounting could be cool? Here we go. Join Andrew Wolf and Brad Stolman. Our mission, make accounting fun. Follow us as we chat with amazing guests
1: every Friday. Are you ready? Woohoo. hoo Woo-hoo! Woohoo. Hey guys, uh, it's Friday night. Um, we have a, a pretty special guest uh this week. Uh he's a friend, a client, uh, a mentor. Uh he is the incredible Jim Harris. He's, you know, best selling author. He's written over six books. Two of them are best selling. Um, he's done some incredible work. Um, around the world in politics, in disruption, innovation, um, in just about everything, and I think one of the really things, one of the really cool things that I'm I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit about is he's actually been to the World Economic Forum over ten times in Davos, Switzerland. And as Brad, we were talking about it earlier. Brad described it as the QB Connect for billionaires. Yeah, <laughs> pretty
0: much, pretty much. It's uh, kind of the who's who of the world goes there. It's where all the the rich and famous hang out and kind of decide how we're going to live our lives in the rest of the world. Isn't that, isn't that the way it works, Jim? Something like that?
2: Well, it's uh, it is a real trip. Let me tell you, I was, uh, I was at a luncheon one time. It was uh, put on by David Cameron, who was at the time the prime minister of the UK. And you never know who you're going to sit beside. I'm sitting beside this guy who begins telling me what's happening in Kenya with uh, their mobile phones. And this is like 10, 15 years ago. And they were all the Nikia phones then. And uh, 75% of the people in Kenya don't have a bank account. And so the telco there, the mobile company, Safari, basically created, uh, we'd call it now an app, but on these dumb phones, they weren't even smartphones, they were feature phones. Um, to send and receive money. And uh, so you end up meeting these people. And today, um, it's called M-PESA, M for money and uh, uh, PESA for uh, transactions in Swahili. But it's facilitating a quarter of the country's GDP. So think about you're a poor entrepreneur who doesn't have a bank account. You can send and receive money to anyone in the country. So it's changed the economy profoundly. But I just happened to be sitting next to this guy at lunch, talking to him about M-Pesa the entire time. So you end up learning these really interesting things you'd never learn otherwise.
1: Wow. Like, like
0: QuickBooks Connect, but for, for, <laughs> for... billionaires. billionaires. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that what it comes down to? These conferences, it's all about the people that show up, the it's, conversations you're going to have and the things you're going to learn. You just never know what you're going to learn.
1: Absolutely. It's those conversations you have, right? Just sitting next to someone for lunch. Just some um, guy from Kenya. It's just some guy from Kenya who uh, happened to change the world uh, yeah. in really unbelievable ways. and And that's... One of the things that we're, again, you know, Jim, you specialize on, on disruptive innovation, um, which is, I mean, so incredible because I, I think our industry has been going through disruptive innovation um, and, and, and is actually, I guess, in the middle of, of going through disruptive innovation. Um, and Brad and I are sort of, you know, maybe tip of the spear to us, you know, some of this disruption is is old news, but there's so many accountants out there that, you know, uh just think that the the, you know, the ground is shaking underneath them and they can't believe all these changes. And, you know, how are they going to transform their legacy firms and all this? How, how do companies handle disruption? You know, when we look around the world and in other industries outside of the accounting world, what, what are some of the key things that people should look at in adapting um, to disruption and adopting these new and modern technologies, like, and PESA was one technology 10 years ago, but now there's, you know, the pace of change is exponential, right?
2: So uh, most companies don't adapt very well to disruption. Um, so I got a question for you. Who's closest to the future? The 65-year-old CEO who has his assistant print out all his emails or the 18-year-old who's on Tinder? You know, who 18-year-old. does all- their- <laughs> Who does all the strategic planning you know who's most disenfranchised from strategic planning is it any wonder we only get incremental change mm. so mm, many of the, the disruptions come from outside the industry uh from companies that nobody saw coming so like uh elon musk has no experience in the car industry and tesla is really shaking up the auto industry. He's got no experience in rocketry in space. And yet <laughs> SpaceX is, you know, shaking up the uh, space industry. So these challenges uh, typically come from outside and they often come from poor countries. Uh, so that example of M-Pesa, it wasn't on anybody's radar because the transactions in Kenya are tiny and banks aren't interested in tiny transactions that have very little margin.
1: Right, and and now will blockchain start to change even things like M-Pesa with micropayments and stuff like that? Is that sort of where we're going from a futurist standpoint?
2: Uh, absolutely, imagine uh, a cryptocurrency on facebook facebook has uh, got one that they've announced called libra we're sending in money sending or receiving money is as easy as uh direct messaging someone on messenger right like it's that frictionless mm-hmm. and it can be any amount like you would never send uh 47 cents to somebody in another country because Western Union's going to charge you twenty dollars to do it. So, but if it's completely frictionless, sure you might send forty-seven cents to somewhere, for, somewhere else. So these micro payments uh, can make a huge difference if you get hundreds of thousands. Of-
1: well, and it's in also- the third
0: third world, money just goes farther. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you know, ten ten dollars American to somebody in a poor country that's a lot of money so like you say a little bit here a little bit there it counts and, and think of all the giving programs out there where you might just take off you know round it up and donate it well if you could easily send like you said jim 47 cents to the third world and then pile it up with 47 cents here 53 cents whatever it, it can bring in a lot of money and, and do a lot do a lot of good things
1: well, and also when you when you think about charities too, right? How much money has to be spent on overhead and mm-hmm. managing those the the organizations before the money can get to, to anyone? Imagine having you know a pen pal who you are FaceTiming with, and you're like, "Oh, I'll send you,
0: I'll send you five bucks, I'll cover that, you,"
1: and that buys him a chicken, which changes his yeah, life. You know, exactly. It, 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 and it can be so much more rewarding um, from a giving standpoint for sure, but also from you know, a business standpoint and closing down borders um, and enabling people who are uh, knowledgeable and capable of working from anywhere in the world. I think obviously one thing that COVID has taught us is that, you know, where you work doesn't really matter anymore, as long as you've got the knowledge and the skills to be able to do the job and, and also an yeah, attack. <laughs> and, and yeah. I mean, that's the key that, you know, we're yeah. the big thing right now is, 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 that i don't know if you talk much about jim is knowledge poverty right and 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 the the lack of having access to the internet and like uh a computer and a tablet because one thing that's interesting when i've been traveled the the third world is um people don't have computers but everybody seems to have a cell phone Mm -hmm. Um,
2: yeah well you know in 1997 when uh IBM's Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov, the World Chess Championship in chess. It was a total shock to Gary. Well, that was a $100 million project in 1997. And my smartphone right here has more raw computing power than the $100 million uh, supercomputer uh, Deep Blue. And I carry this around in my pocket at all times. So one of the disruptions is that companies that are mobile-centric, have an 825% higher valuation on IPO than companies with no mobile presence. Right. Because we're using a supercomputer in the hip pocket or purse of every single customer or prospective customer.
1: Right. And so if you're thinking desktop first, you're just eliminating such a big part of the global market, right? Um, And and I I think that... um, It's interesting when like mobile first is definitely a buzzword in our community, but I think even like accountants are still laggards when it comes to technology in many ways. And also because we're still tied to so many pieces of software that require um, a desktop um, or server
0: installation. Yeah.
1: or, Or not, not even necessarily for, for the, for the technology. I mean, you think about QuickBooks online, it's on the internet, but even from like a data entry you know, you need to have multiple screens. You need to have, you know, a keyboard, with has got a number pad on it, right? Like you need not- a br-
0: You need the full browser. A mobile browser only goes so far, and a and a tablet only goes
1: so far. You still need a laptop. But but I mean, Moore's law is going to change that, right? <laughs> exactly. So
2: so I see so many guys who are in construction today, not actually texting on their smartphone. They just hold it up and they they dictate. Mm-hmm. Um, all their texts or all their emails or all their reports. You know, we have gotten to a place where the tech is so good that Moore's mm-hmm. law has progressed so fast that we have, you know, 99.9% accurate voice to text. You know, it, Moore's law is just head spinning when you look at it over time. Like a gigaflop is doing a billion transactions in a single second. And in 1963, a gigaflop cost $163 billion on mainframes. And today it's a penny, a single wow. cent. And that's like so 2021, Brad, because like exactly. it's gone down from there next year, right? So- Well, there's
0: a bit of a shortage right now with the pandemic and cars and everything. But we know, I was listening just recently, I think it was Intel was saying, oh, we're working on this, ultra you know they were describing the latest the next technology and i forget the size they were talking about but it was so small and how many transmit transistors are on this microscopic piece of silicone it was just mind-boggling yeah, and well, back, with, back miniaturization, in- yeah with miniaturization yeah with miniaturization it's just been unbelievable what we can pull off the gadgets the connected yeah. world and heaven forbid, five G, which everyone's getting injected with um, as part of this <laughs> virus you vaccine system? strategy. <laughs> I'm getting my five G tomorrow, Andrew.
1: Yeah, you're getting your second. I mean,
0: uh, my second shot. Yeah, that's when they give you the full, the full uh, microwave dose, so that you're ready to pick up the signal. Is that uh, when you become really excited?
1: Energetic.
0: I I wasn't supposed to say that. I signed a, an NDA, right? Um, shit, they're probably gonna pull the <laughs> pull the shot on me now. I'm not supposed to tell you that.
1: Uh, well we got to be careful because facebook might take this down for fake news if they don't (laughs) (laughs) i don't
0: seem to miss much these days if you notice if you make a post all of a sudden if you if you talk about the vaccine in any form right away there's a warning after it saying vaccines are good for you it's like yeah i know i just said that
1: i had my very first post taken down by facebook uh last week and it was It was nothing controversial. It was a webinar with um, an expert on uh, personal pension plans. Um,
0: Controversial.
1: I know. They they took it down um, and they said it was flagged for fake news. And they said that um, due to COVID, their uh, staff are overwhelmed. And normally you would be able to appeal this and go through a process. But too uh, bad.
0: So sad. You're like Brad uh, and Twitter. You're uh, gone. Yeah. Out of here.
1: Uh, Well, let me take my whole account down.
0: Yeah, see, so, so I think what Facebook's been doing lately is they've been taking a lot of flack for their algorithm um, in general, but I think they're trying to automate the heck out of it too much because I'm part of a local community here in Calgary. I live in a in a Southeast Calgary, a place called McKenzie Town. We have our own Facebook group and it's all right, except people love to complain like people do. And <laughs> there's an offshoot group called Rants and I call it bitching and whining. It's pretty much where you can go and it's unmoderated. And what's happened to that group is Facebook's got this automation going on that just doesn't let anything happen. Like, sorry, you haven't made an, uh, enough, uh, or the post isn't long enough. It's automatically being um, moderated. So my point is is that where where are we drawing the line here? You know, right now, Zuckerberg is listening to this conversation and figuring out what the hell he can do with it. And if we we just mentioned vaccines, Andrew, we might get flagged so
1: yeah, it, this this episode if you're not listening not this episode yeah but <laughs> uh, well, what, what's your thoughts on that jim do you think that uh social media should be censoring content in this world of ever populating fake news uh
2: well it has to do something because, yes agreed um, uh something that makes you angry or divides people gets replicated far faster than something that's positive and truthful. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so, uh, you know, social media, and when people are enraged, they're engaged. And so uh, there is uh, there is a, a case for uh, making sure that uh, false, false uh, things, for instance, around uh, the vaccines or COVID uh, don't get Perpetuated. And looking from an exponential perspective around uh, this pandemic, the average time to develop a vaccine pre pandemic was 9.8 years. And the fastest ever was something like 5.1 years. And like here in this pandemic, we've had four or five, you know, I'm not counting the Russian ones, vaccines all developed basically within a year. That is a is head-spinning achievement. Absolutely. And uh, we, this is all part of this exponential trends. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about for you from an accounting pr- profession, the second largest expense the average North American family makes is their car. Okay? The first is their home. The, the price of uh, transportation for cars per mile has remained constant for a hundred years at 70 cents per mile.
1: But that's, that.
2: that's a US figure. And it is constant when adjusted for inflation. But when we get to autonomous vehicles, fleets, like think about Uber and Lyft, but with no driver in 2025, the cost per mile drops to 25 cents. So who's going to own a car then like, and some people go, Oh yeah, people will still own cars. I agree. You know, Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld, there's something about comedians and cars. they like cars. So they'll each have (laughs) 200 cars, but for the average person, if you can get around for 65% less 24, 365, why would you go to the bother of owning a car? And finding parking spots and changing, you know, to winter tires and oil changes and accidents. Mm -hmm. Like, boom, it's just transportation as a service. And everything changes overnight. Well,
0: that's... Sorry, Andrew, I just wanted to jump on that just just, uh, quickly. Um, Jim, you must know uh, Peter Diamandis.
2: Oh, yes, I know Peter, yeah.
0: Yeah, Peter, uh, he probably sat with him in Davos. Um, Peter... um, spoke here in calgary uh the calgary chamber and the president of the calgary chamber adam leg who was the president at the time was so excited he was such a fanboy, and rightfully so i mean impressive guy great speaker and i'll never forget the conversation we had about autonomous vehicles or that we had everyone had (laughs) he kind of spoke to me but that's what it felt like anyways he was talking about how yeah just what you just mentioned is why would you buy a car when you can just get one as needed and you can just pull out your phone or whatever device we're using at this point and page a car and say, what car would you like? Well, I'm going on a date tonight. I really like that Ferrari and you hit Ferrari and then half hour later, it's in your driveway, ready to go. No
1: Sketchy Uber driver that you have to worry about whether he's going to. No, the
0: car is just there. You get to still drive it, but it's going to be delivered to you. It doesn't have to be autonomous. Once you take over, you could turn it off and it's a Ferrari it's in your driveway and you get, you've rented it for a couple hours for your date. And then when you're done with it, you just send it back. And maybe on, on Sunday, I want to go to the mountains. I want to go mountain biking. I need a sport utility with a bike rack. So I order that it shows up.
1: But to not, to not be a pessimist. I I think this is the technology is amazing and it's not very far off that we're going to have that. Oh, definitely, I, I definitely you know,
0: see that because you know like jim said everyone you know what do you need a card for really like in calgary here in the, even in the inner city i know toronto must be getting that way car rental you know where you just go and you need a car you just take it for a couple hours and then you just leave it a lot of people downtown calgary don't even own cars anymore they
1: don't feel the need well but the thing is what what i do wonder about this sort of you know and, and maybe stepping taking a step back from the computer the car that just shows up in your car and is maybe owned by oh, i want that that i'm that's i'm aspirational on right. that. i'm with peter but does so- this also create this divide between the haves and the have-nots um where you have the people who own the airbnb the people who own uh the cars that are rented out in Turo's, and the people who don't own anything and who simply consume from the haves and have-nots and it almost goes back to a feudal system or you have the landowners and, you know, the people who rent the land or use the land or work the land. Right. Um,
2: well, I just, I just look at uh, when the cost is 65% mm-hmm. less per mile traveled, it's an egalitarian democratizing mm-hmm. thing because everyone can afford it. You, if you're yeah. a young millennial or a Gen Z and you don't have a lot of money, you can still get around in private transportation. It doesn't have
0: to be a Ferrari, right? It it could be anything. It could be, there's so many different vehicles heading into this space. You know, I do a lot of walking around here in Calgary and so many different electric vehicles go flying past me at high speed from, you know, three wheel contraptions to bikes and these fat bikes and just bikes that don't even look like they're electric until they go by you at, at 50, 60 kilometers an hour. And it's some, you know, my grandmother type person going by and it's amazing what is coming in. So I think, I think the way people get around has has changed. And I love that concept of being able or not having to buy a car. I used to be all about the car and flipping the car. And I think every guy does that. Now, if I didn't need a vehicle, and I could just order one as needed. I think that I would use it because my car will sit there for days on end, weeks on end, where I don't use it. Isn't that like what's the point of just having, a, you know, an expensive it's asset? Depreciating that's, asset, it's that's depreciating exactly. And and what I le- I've learned the hard way over time is you know everyone knows I like to ride a Vespa. Once it's Vespa season, I I ride the Vespa everywhere, even if the weather's crappy, I'll I'll go out. So the car sits there. And it sits there, and then seals start to go, and oil pumps start to go. And then, when you're driving down Deerfoot Trail in cold weather one day, your engine blows up because your oil pump went, because your seals dried up because you weren't driving it enough. Real world story. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a real world. I, story. I,
2: I, I hate it when that happens.
0: <laughs> well, I just I just found out. You know, my car doesn't have a lot of miles on—ninety-five so thousand kilometers—and you know, I went in to get my, my tires rotated and I trust these guys. I've dealt with them for years. And, and Wayne says, Hey, Brad, come in here. I want to show you something. And he says, Oh, your brakes are shit. And I was like, what, what happened? Like, why is not that many miles? Because you don't drive it very often do you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I can just tell, he says, everything gets all rusty in here and then it just breaks apart. And yeah, you need complete brakes. Uh, 1500 bucks. So you're saying that wouldn't have happened if I, So once again, just sitting there, a vehicle just sitting there, depreciating, and it's literally falling apart because it's
1: not being used. Better to rent it out in Toro and get it some activity. (laughs) There you go.
2: You know, the average car in North America that's owned privately is only used 4% of the time. That is horrific asset utilization. Unbelievable. Second most expensive uh, asset a family owns. like. Think about this one, 60% of US trips are less than five miles. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole new uh, form of transportation called micro-mobility that's e-scooters that are rentable and. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there've been 2 million trips in uh, Calgary on these things. So Bird and Lime Mm -hmm. are the two fastest companies in US history to reach a billion dollar valuation they both went from startup from zero to a billion in 12 calendar months, like one year to reach a billion dollar valuation. And so we're seeing an explosion of micromobility around the world and there's gonna be a half billion trips. So this is a huge disruption to the car because mm-hmm. if I'm a Gen Z or millennial, which is easier to buy a $40,000 car that depreciates if i buy a new one or to rent an e-scooter at 35 cents a kilometer yeah
1: and what's yeah. more fun yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> we know that I, I andrew and i um well i i discovered them in utah at a conference and i liked them so much when we got down to san jose a few months later andrew and i took the long way everywhere we went we were on those scooters you know with the packs on full of the gear but
1: but even at 30 cents, it adds up, let me tell you. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was
0: the thing, right? I got my bill. And of course, in Utah, it converts to Canadian dollars. And I, I spent like $200 on scooting around. But I'll tell you, it was it was money well spent. I gotta but how, admit.
2: How much would you have spent on a taxi, Brad, if
0: you'd gone I, all I was walking trip. distance from everything? <laughs> <laughs> more for entertainment. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining. You know, it really was. We were going out, you know, we went around the temple. Like Salt Lake is actually a, a beautiful little town. It's got you know the really cool architecture and things. And and yeah, we took it it was definitely we didn't I didn't have to use it as much as I did, I just did because it was it was fun. But I know a lot of people here in Calgary that they live, you know, maybe two or three kilometers away from downtown and they don't feel like walking. They, they might not have a bicycle. They just scoot in and they scoot home and they're paying a couple bucks a day. And uh, it's a great way to get around. I, I used one, one day, I had to be from one side of downtown to another fairly quickly. And I used that now, Andrew, now I'd probably walk because you know, I walk everywhere. I walk, you know, 15 kilometers a day, but for for fat fat Brad, it was like scooters. These are made for me, and I used them extensively in in downtown Calgary. Even though you know, I because I was in a co working space just outside of downtown, so it's super convenient to just jump on one, go go in, go out, and everyone's using them.
2: Yeah, well, it is a huge a half billion trips globally yeah. this year are projected for twenty twenty one,
1: and that's amazing but i do also just brad i have to congratulate you because i'm looking at my apple watch checking your your, (laughs) your burn thing you walked 29.0 kilometers
0: today that's that i've i've told you guys the apple watch it's it's weird because like no realistically i didn't i walked 15 kilometers this morning and then i did a little bit here and i cut the lawn and that's, uh, it, anyways it's,
1: te- it's telling me you did one walk for for uh for 14 kilometers but you totally did isn't that like amazing these this technology so what we're doing jim is we've got like we share our, each other's uh, data. and we all we all share each other's data which is such a thing like to i i personally find it really inspiring and motivating to see what my friends and my peers are doing Right, I think you see it the same way, right? And and I think yeah. It's- well, it, it's funny,
0: Jim. When when they asked me to do this a few weeks ago, it was actually after FNL, and we started talking about these Apple watches and how we can share. And Andrew wanted me to share with him because he shared with his sister. And I was like, oh, it seems kind of personal, isn't it? But it's actually been kind of fun because, um, like Andrew and I, obviously, I st- I started this little trend when I when I started Noom in April of 2020. I was 115 pounds heavier and um oh i got going on it and other people thank you people started following along with it and um you know andrew's really um embraced it so he's like hey let's start sharing and i said oh i don't know i don't know and then we had two other friends in the accounting community and they said oh what are you, what are you afraid of and they laid a little bit of um, peer pressure on me so now we have what six or seven other accountants in there and it's not a competitive thing. Andrew and I are like, you know, I have my goal that I wish to set. Andrew's got his and and we burn through a fair bit of calories, but we're not competing. And we're actually the support is more it's more passive. We're in there checking it out. But I think that I wouldn't call it competition, but it's more in a case it, of people it's supporting. Yeah, it's, it's inspirational. You all like, think, oh, I place better place get, place. I better start moving. You know, Brad and Andrew are doing all this. Or, you know, I, I know that people just quietly go about their own goals, but it is fun to do it together. And but
2: so, so, this is a great example. Many people think it's the technology, but mm-hmm. it's the application of the technology. Exactly. The, the, you might call it the business model, in this case, the social engagement of how do we use technology um in an engaging way and that's the key
0: and, and that's exactly what it what it feels like because at first i was so i don't know i don't know i don't know if i want to do that now it's actually kind of cool and we brought we bring more people in and you know we just say don't be intimidated but it is an ability and we we created a little facebook uh, message thread so that we can talk but it's not like we're in there trying to Trash talk each other, Andrew. You and I could probably get competitive if we wanted to.
1: Oh, it's, it's usually more like I ate a whole pizza today, and everyone's like, "No, oh, don't <laughs> worry, about it. it's okay." <laughs> yeah,
0: Andrew's always like, "Well, I burnt five hundred more calories than you guys, but I also ate a pizza today."
1: Uh, and I am known for eating an entire pizza in a sitting. That's still my my weakness. That's all right.
0: We all have them. So. Well,
2: well, this is a great example of uh, you know the social aspects. Yes. Course. Is buying Slack, right? Now, why would Salesforce, the most successful CRM in the world, online CRM, uh, buy Slack? Because it's all about engagement. How do we engage people in real time around problems? So, uh, this is a fascinating story. You know, we have to think about how to engage people. If you think about Wikipedia, you know, it has 300 million hours of volunteer time invested in. That is head spinning. Now, how do we do that? It's by having an overall mission to create a site that all knowledge in the world is free and freely accessible. And that mission is so invigorating, so exciting that people volunteer 300 million hours of their time to create the best, most uh, robust, uh, you know, encyclopedia in the world that's freely accessible.
1: And we're, we're, you know, one of the things is we're, we know that all too well because there's so many accountants in our community who do that, who give back their time and energy, not in Wikipedia, but in Facebook groups and forums Mm -hmm. and communities, you know, that they, they do it for the betterment of the community and they donate, Hundreds, if not thousands, of hours over time to helping other people. Um, hey, cl-
0: clubhouse right now, Andrew is yeah. is the big one, right? Everyone's in there organizing these clubhouse meetings, and I've I, it's such a fascinating platform. You know, it's it's almost like you can go there just to lurk, and it's almost a bit voyeuristic. You walk into this room, there's a conversation going on, you can just sit here and listen, and and. I don't think people listen enough in this world. And I've actually learned to enjoy that sort of platform today. Well, I, I
1: certainly don't listen enough.
0: <laughs> well, no, but you're, but you're getting better. I'll give you that. Um, but no, I'm the same way. And, you know, listening is good. What do they, they say we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know, cause and,
2: and the ratio is important.
0: It is important. So, so, I look at something like clubhouse where you can just go in and there's a bunch of people that, you know, and admire and they're having a conversation and it's like, Oh, I'm going to have a walk or I'm working. I don't have, I have the ability to talk, but I just want to sit and listen to what my friends are talking about. And I find that really interesting. I've had here in Calgary, I'm sort of getting involved lightly in local politics and I've got all these people saying, Oh, you know, set up an appointment with the candidate and ask them all these questions i said i don't really feel like asking questions i'd rather go to a, a town hall and listen to what they have to say see how they communicate pick up on their inflection and this you know little cues like that i'll ask questions later but i think that's important is just being able to listen right and and the content these days like clubhouse what i like about it is there is a conversation going on today hector garcia had one going on and he was bringing in people from india were asking questions you know they were looking up to hector as like cuz he's a rock star in our community but it was in real time and i heard somebody say yesterday in another discussion they said i can't believe i can sit here and talk with all these people i admire and you guys are just a- answering my questions in real time and how important that is to them to be able to approach somebody they really admire. And then the person actually giving the time up to do that and give this value back to somebody that really admires them. I think it's amazing that we were able to do that and have access to, to people just like that. Like, you know, we were talking about Elon Musk earlier. He popped onto Clubhouse once. Now they limit how many people can be in a room. I think it's 5,000 or something. of course that one filled up fast. But if you were fortunate enough to be one of those 5,000 people in there, anyone in the room had the opportunity to say, hey, Elon, answer my question. And it was happening. And apparently it was a fascinating discussion.
2: So uh, this is the intersection of what you've just talked about, Brad. And uh, um, uh, there's a a notion called habit pairing. And so my wife uh, goes out walking twice a day. And what she listens to is either books on tape or podcasts, or she could listen to clubhouse. Uh, You do something you love and you pair it with something you want to do. So
0: uh, bingo, that's exact. You just nailed exactly what I do every day. I don't just go for a walk without headphones on. I want to consume something else. It's like taking two things at once. Right. And maybe the walking part isn't your favorite thing to do, but when you pair it with something that's actually enjoyable, the whole event becomes well, more enjoyable. And exactly. I love that topic or like, what do you call it? Habit? What? Habit, Habit for pairing. Yeah. That's exactly what I do every day and it works. Mm-hmm. I love that concept. Um, sometimes people look at you. You used to say, I used to look at people that were out there with headphones on and go, oh, that's just crazy why not just enjoy the outdoors and the birds and the and everything but people just don't get out but if yeah you can be out, especially during the pandemic hasn't that been huge isn't your your wife's out there you know she doesn't have to put on a mask necessarily she doesn't it's easy to social distance on the sidewalk let me tell you
2: yeah that's one of the reasons to do it you get some exercise some fresh air and boom
0: and some knowledge as you said or you know even just music you know it's good music's good for the soul so even going out and listening to a playlist or a band or a, an, an artist it's so gratifying it's like wow i just did 15 kilometers. that's exactly what i do every day and you, you you see that you see my my daily routine is i either do a 60 minute walk a 90 minute walk or 120 minute walk. And it's always exact. As soon as I'm there, because I want to be able to gauge it against other days just to say, well, what was today like compared to others? And it really is okay, what am I going to do this morning? Is it a podcast? Am I going to listen to live news through another app? Or am I going to listen to music? And I get different reactions out of each one. If I'm listening to a downer political podcast, I tend to go slower because you tend to be, I think you're more. I don't know. It's just it's kind of a downer. Whereas music, I find when I want to get a faster pace, it's all about the music.
1: Yeah, the beat changes your rhythm for sure. But totally, is it, is it, is it still habit pairing, Jim? If I'm pairing work and walking, <laughs> well, well <laughs> sort that, of.
2: That's that's interesting because uh, you you told me that you have a a treadmill under your desk.
0: Well, and- it shows that anytime you see with a camera going. Um, like last week during quickbooks connect andrew was walking and interacting and yeah you were working a bit that day i think
1: i yeah it's my it's my it's been the key to for me for for my weight loss i I think i think it qualifies under the desk and the thing is i mean work is work i do like work uh i don't hate my job um i but it's not like sort of one of those things that i would like if I had a choice between work or go play with my kids in the backyard, it's probably going to be go play in the, with the kids in the backyard. If I had a choice between go play with the kids in the backyard or walk, it's probably going to go, be go play with the kids in the backyard. But it's still, pizza. It, It's worked for me because I spend so much time at the desk that I was able to pair a health habit, which is something I knew I had to do with a work habit, which was Make something- making some money. Do so do of course. Things, anyways. And so I guess it's, is that still habit forming? Yeah, yeah, I think habit. it is.
2: It's it's uh, habit pairing, absolutely, absolutely.
1: And I guess so, that's one of the ways to disrupt your life, right? Is is by pairing new habits and, and you know, um, exploring and trying new things, right? Which is such a key part of um, you know being a disruptive accountant, right? Is this this constant exploration. Um, Well,
0: the technology, though, you know, that's what we've been talking about all along and and the disruption is we're carrying this supercomputer in our pockets. i never forget the conversation that Chris Hadfield the first time I heard him speak. This is long before my QuickBooks world. And um, he was just talking about how flying the shuttle, um, the space shuttle was so, when he looks back at it, it's, it's laughable because the technology in that thing is so old school you know his phone at the time he said the flip phone he had in his pocket almost had more pow- processing power than the space shuttle <laughs> think about that the space that's, shuttle that's
2: but that's scary if you're an yeah. old astronaut yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's old school right it's like everything's full manual they need they got a clutch and you know everything is mechanically driven
1: it's literally a, wig and a prayer yeah <laughs>
0: Well, you're just using science to get you up there, but you're still just kind of slingshotting and guessing. So it really does come down to the fact that we can put a, this powerful machine in our pockets and do anything we want. Uh, The other day I went out for a walk. I was having, I I attended a, um, a town hall with a local politician. So I got, once again, I just wanted to listen, but every once in a while I'd stop. And I'd add some comments to, to a, a feed, but the fact that I could still do that and, and, and multitask in, in a more productive way. I find myself doing that now. It's like, okay, I want to listen to this. I want to do this. I want to do that, but I want to go for a walk too. Now you can. You don't have to say, oh, I'm just going to sit on the couch and then maybe I'll go out later, right? Now you can do both. And I that's so cool. And it's it really does come down to the fact we have so much, we have this, this amazing device in our pockets. It's hard know, to imagine life without them.
2: It's if you look at nineteen eighty and you look at a million dollars of consumer technology, it's all embedded in this thousand dollar <laughs> high-end smartphone for free. Like I don't know if you remember buying a TomTom or a Magellan or a
1: car I had
0: I had a TomTom
2: GPS for your car. You know, you were really cool. It was seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Um, and yeah. plus the- and it wasn't even that accurate. <laughs> yeah, not that accurate. But now the GPS is embedded in the phone for free, and you can yeah. use Waze for free and it gives you traffic. Uh, it crowdsources the traffic patterns. So uh, that 750 is just sucked into the center, but there's a million dollars of value sucked into the center of today's cutting edge smartphone. So that's just head spinning. That's hugely deflationary. Another example is, you know, back in 2007, a drone was a hundred thousand dollars. So it was only the military that had drones. (laughs) Yeah, but but like Andrew's a big drone enthusiast and you can get a (laughs) a consumer entry level drone for a hundred bucks, not a hundred thousand bucks. That's a thousand X reduction in cost. And so think about how that changes everything. Drones are used more in movies. Police departments don't have to buy a $5.1 million helicopter. They can buy a $1,000 high-end prosumer uh, drone and get an aerial view of the city, right? Um, You know, farmers can put infrared and high-res cameras and tell uh, about crop infestations and use AI on top of it to tell you what kind of pest and where it is in your field. Or if, uh, you know, plants are water stressed so that you don't water everything, you just water where the water stresses are. So this is called precision agriculture, but the technology, the drones, the GPSs, you know, the the high-end 4K GoPro cameras, the AI, Chips that we are embedding in technology. All this creates all sorts of new business model applications.
1: So where does where does the future go for us? I mean, is it the is it the Jetsons? Is it Star Trek? Is it you know? And how far <laughs> out is it? Right? I mean, it sounds incredible the pace of change and 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 if we look back to you know i remember when zach morris's brick cell phone was cool to have right bag
0: phones what about bag
1: phones bag phones are like just having one in your car right
0: oh yeah i had a a legit car phone like you didn't have a cell phone you just put a phone in your car because hey why else would you want
1: to carry around a phone and and the 64k computers what we all you know that's what we learned on in our, in school. If you, if you're as, as young as Brad and I are, uh, or, you know, our parents, they, you know, you know, if you were lucky to touch a computer with punch cards, that was a big deal or have a calculator. Like it's in our generation that we have seen such big transformation and, and the, it's a hockey stir. It's a hockey stick curve, right? So this, you know, we've talked about Moore's law and exponential growth. And that's just in microchips. Now you've got quantum computing on all of that. So like, I'd love to get your, like where, if you were to fast forward, let's go 10 years into the future from now. What are the technologies that you think we'll have from Star Trek, from uh, from the Jetsons that we don't have today? Well, me up, it, Scotty. It,
2: it's, huh? it's not just, so I'll give you an example. I was working with parts manufacturers in Stockholm and uh you know one of the problems uh is if you ship to a client in brazil customs wants a bribe to let your piece of equipment in but uh and so if the machinery is broken down you know you pay the bribe because you know it could be a million dollar piece of machinery that's missing a couple parts and they need those parts otherwise you know the thing doesn't work but so I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you put a 3D metal printer inside the country?
1: So replicators, that's what's yeah. coming.
2: <laughs> well, it's not just coming, it's here. And, and the way you can 3D print in metal is you lay down uh, metal powder and then a laser inside in a vacuum melts the uh, metal and you build like a layer cake part out of this uh, melted powdered metal inside a vacuum. So uh, you know, I said, why don't you just put one of these inside Brazil? You never have to go through customs. You shoot it over the internet and it prints out in there, but then not every company should go buy a $300,000 vacuum sealed metal uh, 3D printer. What you do is you all collaborate or better yet, you go to DHL or UPS or FedEx and say, you put it inside the country because we're going to disrupt your package shipping And you buy the $300 thing and just charge us for 3D printing as a service, just like transportation as a service with a robo taxi fleet, where you don't actually have to own the asset. So this is how we need to take business thinking or uh, business model thinking and overlay it on top of the way we work and over, over top of the technology to address our modern day problems
1: it's it's interesting that you say 3d printing because i just saw a as, a service,
0: talk, Andrew, as a service
1: 3d printing as a service which we are seeing more of, but i just saw a ted talk the other day with this guy who had a 3d printer that was 100 times faster than our current 3d printers
2: yeah
1: uh, because that's obviously one of the downsides to 3d printing right now because what it was actually a really really interesting ted talk i wish I, i'll probably try and find it and tag it in the group later uh, but it was this great conversation and he was explaining how 3D printing is, is um, actually really quite revolutionary because there's things that you can do with 3D printing. There's, there's certain types of structures that you can do with 3D printing that you can't do with milling, you can't do with CNC, you can't do in any other form of fabrication whatsoever. Um, and uh, so 3D printing has great capabilities. And traditionally we do think of it as plastic, uh, but I've seen it in food and chocolate. I've seen it in... And now metal, you're talking about. And
2: uh, I've seen 3D printing of homes in cement.
1: Yes, I have seen that too. Okay, so
2: so, uh, when the pandemic hit, supply chains were disrupted and PPE was really hard to get. So this kid in the Okotoks uh, in Alberta, um, his parents had given him a 3D printer for Christmas the year before. And the company open source published the... uh, blueprint for 3D printing PPE. And so this kid prints hundreds of visor shields for his local hospital because supply chains are disrupted. So what are the business implications of this for supply chains, right? Um, I'll give you another example. I, I was speaking at a conference. That's what I do. I speak at a lot of conferences, not during the pandemic. It's all been virtual. But this was a group of uh, 300 CEOs in Kananaskis. God, we live in such a beautiful country. And we had so much fun, they invited me back for the next year. And one of the CEOs came up to me at the night before sponsors dinner and said, Jim, I just got to tell you about what happened in the intervening year. Um, His name's Jeff and his company's uh, called Altamita. It does helixical pilings for construction. It's like big screws that go into the ground before construction begins to stabilize the building. He said, I wanted to expand and the way I normally would have done it is a $15 million custom design build manufacturing city, uh, facility. But you told me to consult my millennials and Gen Z's. You told me to twist my business model. You told me to think uh, differently. And you use the example about Airbnb's expansion being an assetless expansion. So we did that and I consulted my millennials and Gen Z's and they said, why don't we find a building that we can rent as opposed to buy? And we found a brand new manufacturing facility. They had overbuilt by a hundred percent to allow for future expansion. And we rented that for three years, pennies on the dollar. So look at this, we completely de-risked our expansion. We were cash flow positive. We turned a CapEx into an OpEx and we have been profitable from day one. And then look at now when the pandemic hits and shuts manufacturing, you're left servicing pennies to the dollar instead of a $15 million debt hanging over your head, financially stressing. you. The bank
1: might call any moment.
2: Exactly. So I said, really, Jeff, coming to this conference last year was worth $15 million to you. And he goes, Yes, I guess you're right. And but I only
1: need 10%. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Was, uh, I gotta change my business model. Yeah. All I could say was, so you're gonna you're gonna buy my steak tonight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he owed you more than a steak, that's for sure. But it, it it is really um so exciting to be in this time at this forefront in this uh in this transition and um, to be able to and, and what's really amazing I mean jim you've introduced me to so many um, inspirational people through idea city and um, and and all these amazing people I mean what would be your number one recommendation for going out and hearing more from these people who have these innovative ideas and these you know where where should people go to to you know learn more about disruption and innovation and connect with you know, uh, you know, the people like Brad is talking about um,
0: Peter Diamandis,
1: Peter Diamantis, Yeah. Who, who was that? I think he was at Idea City one year, I recall.
2: Yeah, I was I was speaking on the stage with uh, Peter and uh, with um, Salim Ismail, who wrote a book called Exponential Organizations, uh, myself and uh, a couple other people. We were debating uh, AI getting embedded into everything in our everyday lives.
1: Yeah, you would and love like, Idea City, Brad. You should come when they have it again. <laughs> sure, yeah, when I can leave
2: my house. It's it's like TED. It's uh, I I went to TED twenty years ago when it was in Monterey, and uh, then it was I don't know I can't remember thirty five hundred dollars per person. Leanne and I went. Now it's uh, a lot more, and it's uh, in Vancouver. Although it hasn't physically happened because of the pandemic. But uh, this Idea City is, is just fantastic. Uh, Andrew's been coming for years. No, uh, to... oh, I,
0: I, I love those kind of talks. Um, you know, it's just like mind blown, right? And exactly. When Peter was done. I was just like, holy crap. Andrew and I are really fortunate to see uh, Professor Brian Cox in uh, England when we were there. And he's he's a quantum physicist. And he loves talking about the universe. Mm. And when he was finished, I was, I just sat there for the longest time, just realizing how small we really are in the grand scheme of things This tiny little blip in existence. And the way he looked at the universe and the future of of mankind and everything. And it's those brilliant minds that you get to, 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 to get proximity to. And there's so much amazing thought right now, because like you said, Jim, it's all about the technology, right? Moore's law on steroids, exponential growth. Peter loves talking about that, how, because computers are getting faster, they're generate, they're creating new computers, which are getting faster and everything's exponential and everything gets faster and faster and faster. And people say, Oh, what do I need that technology for? My phone's good enough or my computer's good enough, but they're not really seeing that. The technology is just growing so quickly and it's so subtle, but through yes. increased bandwidth and everything. Like, let's laugh about 5G all we want. Anyone who who thinks that 5G is a threat to your existence and you're getting injected is just insane because 5G is going to allow so many innovations to take hold. We're just going to be blown away. Some people are going to see it as intrusive until they actually
1: are get
0: to benefit from it and go wow that's kind of cool.
1: Jim could go on about 5G, but before you go on about 5G, I do want to know like where are good places to connect because I know you know some of the best thought leaders in disruption and innovation.
0: Other than Davos? Well other than Davos. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, <laughs> Andrew, and you
1: let's uh, sign up maybe they'll they'll t-
2: they'll fly
0: us over he, for nothing he does Davos he does CES he does like
2: CES absolutely I, I used to do it and I that's the
0: big one in Vegas right the, yeah, the consumer show.
2: Uh, yeah, about one hundred and eighty thousand. The
0: gadget show.
2: People come, so that's always exciting.
0: About um, South by Southwest, you attend that?
2: I haven't ever gone to South by Southwest, but I have some friends who just—it's a must attend.
0: For yeah, me. I'd like to go. Um, Idea City,
2: but you know we have so much uh, that's available for free. You know, like TED Talks are available for free on YouTube, and the same with Idea City, and uh, the. This is the work that I do all the time. So I just live in this realm, always about thinking and uh, writing and speaking and consulting about changes. I'll give you one. Uh, Well, one about the pandemic has brought uh, to us, you know, everybody's working from home and Dell Computers has 165,000 employees. And they've said half of them will never come back to the office. Like they might come in for a meeting once a month or every other week or something. But think about what the implication of that is for commercial real estate, right? Profound changes. And who would ever thought a pandemic is going to, you know, threaten or disrupt commercial real estate? Like where does, uh, where do pension funds invest their money? You know, real estate, things we can trust like blockbuster locations, you know? So like, that has cascading implications. Another one is uh, I had an insurance company as a client and this particular thing I'm holding, this pen has magical properties because only a pen can bind a new insurance policy, right? So this (laughs) this guy used to have to drive out two and a half hours west of Toronto, meet a prospect, hopefully sign a deal in the 45 minute meeting, then drive three hours back in rush hour, okay? Whole day for one meeting. But once the pandemic hit and the insurance company realized its sales had plummeted to zero because nobody could meet face to face, they switched to DocuSign. So like years of legal and compliance (laughs) saying only a pen, Can bind a new policy disappeared overnight so was that like cra (laughs) yeah was that really a legal regulatory exactly uh, someone's
1: being
0: lazy or was
2: it a mindset problem or somebody exercising political power in an organizational structure that didn't
0: like change it's yeah it's 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 been remarkable like i think we're going to be able to look back Historians are going to look back at this period and go, wow, it transformed this. What I heard recently a a saying, and I'm terrible at paraphrasing, but it, it, it was along the lines of the pandemic is not changing things. It's accelerating change. So it's taking things that were already changing, maybe at a slower pace. So retail is an example, bricks and mortar, a lot of bricks and mortar just got hammered because everyone went virtual and they didn't have their online presence set up properly and bang, they were gone almost overnight. Brands have just died, but people say, Oh, it's tragic that they, they died. It's like they've been dying for years. All the pandemic did was speed that up because
1: now you have programs like the provincial government coming in with digital main street here in Toronto with actual funding and support to bring people along like the, the the like you said it's a 5 year fast forward button at least 5 years that has projected us or
2: for retail it was 10 years yeah because it uh e-commerce or online shopping was 5% in 09 and it was uh, 16% in 2019 so it grew 11% over 10 years and it grew 11% in the first quarter of the pandemic. So in 90 days, we saw 10 years of uh, growth of adoption of e-commerce. So, and the genie's never gonna go back into the bottle because once people are forced to, for instance, subscribe to Amazon Prime, free shipping for everything, and they see how easy it is, they don't wanna go out two hours to the shopping mall round trip to buy something that isn't there in the store
1: yeah and with that guys we are, believe it or not what a great great guy, talk uh, Jim maybe thank you you, you know it would be fun um do you remember when we were up at the cottage and we played that game uh two tooths and a lie oh yes Moses said with a two tooths and a lie and the, you you only get the answer if you're if you're in the after show <laughs> So can you give us two truths and a lie?
2: Uh, two truths and a lie. So uh, I uh, used to have dinner every night with uh, Prince Andrew when I was in high school. Uh-oh. Um, my first play that I wrote was performed at the O'Keefe Center when I was uh, 12 years old. And... Uh, I sailed halfway around the world on a tall ship.
0: Okay, so we get the answer in the after show. So in uh, next week, we're going back to Australia. Um, Damien Greathead is is going to join us, formerly of Receipt Bank, and he he went down, worked for Practice Ignition for a bit. He's he's doing some consulting now, so we're looking forward to get caught up with an old friend. And Damien, Jim, thank you so much. That was. That was amazing. I loved the Peter Diamandis tie-in because I love those kind of conversations and you just brought it all back. So thank you so much for joining us.